Welcome back to Jurassic Park Minute. Jurassic Park Minute is the fan podcast that chronicles and overanalyzes the classic 1993 film Jurassic Park. I'm Kyle. I'm Brady. And today we're here to bring you Minute Number 16 of Jurassic Park. Brady, how are you doing today? Doing good. Doing good. Getting some really interesting stuff. Getting today. some really cool stuff. We're meeting a, a very cool character. Uh, and that would probably be the words he would use to describe himself. Mm-hmm. Dr. Ian Malcolm here. And uh, he's yeah. about to wow the team with his scientific theory. Before we get into a further description of the characters, you want to go ahead and jump into Minute Number 16? Yeah, let's do that. Awesome. In the previous minute, Dennis Nidri and Lewis Dodson discussed their plan to steal dinosaur embryos off of the island. Nidri informed Dodson of his plan and that everything would go like clockwork. We then cut to a helicopter flying Grant, Ellie, Gennaro, Hammond, and Dr. Ian Malcolm to the island. At minute number 16, Malcolm charms the team with his deplorable excess of personality. Hammond tries to apologize by explaining Malcolm's unique field of study, chaos theory. At 1611, Malcolm begins to explain chaos theory and how it applies to the Jurassic Park project. Grant looks annoyed by Malcolm. At 1630, Malcolm continues to explain his theory, which no one seems to understand or care about. At 1640, Malcolm flirts with Ellie, refusing to believe that she isn't familiar with the concept of attraction. At 1648, Hammond tells Gennaro that he has brought a rock star. At 1656, Hammond looks out the window and announces, There it is. And thus ends minute number 16 of Jurassic Park. This is actually a, a, a pretty funny minute because yeah. we, we get, we went out in the previous minute. We did see Ian Malcolm for just a second. That's right. Uh, but now is where we really kind of get into his personality, right? That's true. Yeah. Uh, so Ian Malcolm is played here by Jeff Goldblum. Now the character of Ian Malcolm, uh, Jim Carrey actually originally auditioned for the part. And the casting director said that it was actually a pretty good audition, but just, you know, didn't fit in with the rest of the cast and with the rest of the movie. Uh, we also saw Cameron Thor, who played Lewis Dodson a few mm-hmm. minutes earlier, uh, audition for the part as well. Um, apparently, when Jeff Goldblum was cast, uh, the character was a little bit different. He didn't have all the charm and character and flirtation that, uh, that he ended up having with Goldblum's performance. And he was still written as kind of like a... I don't know, kind of a geeky guy who wasn't really the suave, muscular dude that we ended up getting. Goldblum showed up to the set like that, and they ended up uh, kind of altering the the character a little bit to fit all that. And I think it you know really benefits the movie. I mean, he's such a hilarious and fun character to follow. Yeah, I remember in the book, they just kind of described him as wearing all black, and he mm-hmm. goes into this long thing about how black doesn't actually attract heat. It repels sunlight, so it was actually a little bit healthier for you to wear black. But I'm glad you gave us a little bit of a breakdown of who how the character came to be before we got into him here because you can definitely see that there's a lot of panache, a lot of charisma yeah, yeah. with Ian Malcolm, and it's really the delivery that Jeff Goldblum brings to it. The tall guy, if you will. Ah, the man with one red shoe. Wait, no, that was Tom Hanks. Anyway. Was it? Yeah, it was. Ah. Uh, but Jeff Goldblum, fantastic actor, very distinct in his delivery, much like a Christopher Walken, one might mm-hmm. say. You know, like, he's uh, almost kind of become, not not become a parody of himself, but his demeanor is now like a comedic act for him. He's done a lot of stuff like with Portlandia and he's on the Tim and Eric show. He does a lot of work with Tim and Eric. I think he's hilarious, but his kind of like je ne sais quoi or his, you know, just kind of like charisma and being of personality is really kind of the main uh, appeal of him at this point. Yeah. And I mean, you, you got to think that this movie opened up so many doors for Jeff Goldblum, like stuff like uh, independence day and things like that probably wouldn't have come around without. Yeah. I think, 
I personally think that the character of Ian Malcolm was carried on into the Lost World because of Jeff Goldblum's performance. Oh, absolutely. Audiences fell in love with the performance, the character, the actor, and I think that's why Michael Crichton carried him over. But in the Lost World, you see um, a lot of change in the character and the performance. And I remember thinking when I saw it, like, oh, God, Goldblum's just kind of phoning this in. This is really just a paycheck. But you have to assume that, like, someone would change after they've gone through the events of Jurassic Park, of this movie. And uh, be much like kind of more subtle, darker person, I guess. Uh, So I thought it was actually kind of a good turn in The Lost World. Now, did you know that Ian Malcolm has a cameo twice in Jurassic World? Really? Yeah. uh, There's two books that he's written that are featured in it. And they're just kind of subtly off in the background called God Creates Dinosaurs, written by Ian Malcolm. That's on one of the, you know, programmer's desks. Yeah. And then... There's another one that I I don't I haven't actually caught it, but uh, one of the characters, the female characters, is reading it apparently earlier on in the movie. So you want to talk about chaos theory for a little bit here? Yeah, let's do so it. So let's get to the general bizarreness of the premise here. I could understand if the insurance team, the investors involved here, want to bring in some specialist on the island that you would definitely get some paleontologists to come in. You want some people who have never seen a dinosaur, who have spent their entire life obsessed with dinosaurs and dinosaur evolution to come in and take a look at the park and be wowed by what they're seeing and then come back and say, oh, you absolutely have our endorsement because the thing that we've been studying our whole lives has been brought to fruition here. We're out of a job, but people get to see dinosaurs, right? Like they have a vested interest in the public seeing this stuff. Why on earth you would bring a chaotician to a park is beyond me. If I was building a satellite that would talk to aliens, I would get Stephen Hawking and probably Neil deGrasse Tyson to come in, uh, maybe Kip S. Thorne or somebody like that to come in and talk about physics, to talk about uh, alien cultures, you know, maybe a a xenolinguistic uh, expert, right? Yeah. I would get people that have fields appropriate to what's going on scientifically. If this is a theme park with animals in it, I would get zoologists to come in. Yeah. I would get... Uh, uh, Joe Rode, the head of Imagineering at Disney, to come in and tell me how I'm uh, if if uh, people are going to twist their ankles walking around the park and yeah. sue me, stuff like that. Getting a chaotician to come in is a very Michael Crichton thing. Yeah, Michael well, Crichton's a genius who knows about this kind of stuff, and he he would have been like on the on the verge of when chaos theory was kind of like coming into its own and was come in like pop science at the time in the mid '90s. He's the kind of guy that would be like. Oh yeah, we have to bring this chaotician in because it's got all this you know weird stuff going on. But how it actually is applicable to the park is something that I've never been able to get over, other than the fact that it just kind of sounds cool. Is that addressed in the book? Why they would have chose uh, chosen that? Or? My memory of it was was pretty much that it was just a concession that you had to go by because it was a, it was a um, it was a Michael Crichton type thing. Like Michael Crichton kind of continues to not rewrite his own stories, but he pulls elements from other stories. And there's a part in Congo that kind of reminds me of this. Like, you know, in Congo, they're going to find this lost city to find, like, diamonds and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And it's got these weird subspecies of ape out there, right? So they, they pull a lot of scientists to do that. And I can't remember, but they, they, they pull uh, somebody with a, with, a, with a gorilla, and the gorilla Amy can, like, do sign language, right? Like, if I was a guy putting together a team of people to go into a lost, uh, to go into Africa to find a lost city, I would find, like, you know, like, uh, cartographers, mappers, people like that, mm-hmm. you know, people with technology. I wouldn't get a person with a, with a, a ape or a gorilla that could do sign yeah. language. So what but is the purpose? It makes a cool story. Yeah, I, I, okay. I think it's cool. I, I, I don't know that, I can't remember that the chaos stuff really came into effect other than the underlying principle of chaos theory, which is that you cannot predict 
So, okay, so I'm starting to realize this as I'm saying it. It's, it's, it's a thematic element of the story. Okay. Jurassic Park is all about evolution. It's about how you cannot control life. If you try, it's the Frankenstein thing. If you try to put life inside of a cage, it's going to break out of the cage, right? Uh, Ian Malcolm even says that to that effect. That's cool. That's the underlying theme of it all. But to have a character who specializes in chaos theory in it is, is a little bit, it, it's a weird direction to go with that theory, right? That you cannot mathematically or you, you, you cannot by systems of measurement we have really predict what these animals are going to do if you've never seen them before. Right. It, it is an element of chaos. It's like a, it's like a hurricane. You know, it's like a hot desert wind coming off the Sahara and eventually we don't know how, but eventually it's going to, I mean, we know how it happens, but we can't predict where the hurricane is going to hit because of a gust of wind coming off of the so sand. So it in. seems almost like Gennaro and InGen and the investors who whoever would have said like, okay, this is the opposite of what we want coming to endorse the park. I mean, clearly this is just here to say... This theory is here to say, like, okay, nothing that you think is going to go right is is going to go right. This is all going to go wrong. So why the hell would they have gotten him? I know it's a cool story point, but, like... If I'm a multi-billionaire, it's not the kind of thing I would want. I would rather have somebody there who knows about electrical fences, who knows about, uh, you know, what what kind of... uh, I, I would want Muldoon. Is who yeah. I would want. I yeah. would trust a guy like Muldoon, a big game hunter, who could say that if one of these things breaks out of its paddock, how is it going to get to the hotel where the guests are staying on the island and kill everybody? How can we stop it before it gets there? I don't know that I would want to pay a guy a bunch of money to come in and be like, oh, well, this mathematical equation I show says that, oh, chaos can't predict these things. Because it's almost like a foregone yeah. conclusion when he gets to the island. He's just going to tell everybody, you know, there's no way we can predict what a Brachiosaurus does. We have an idea of what it does, but... Okay, then let's go over it like this. Gennaro is the one putting together the endorsement team. Right. He says to Rostogno earlier, I've already got Ian Malcolm, but they think he's too trendy. Uh, so later well, on, that's a great they're, point. Yeah, when right. they're uh, eating and going over everything, um, he does say things are a little bit different than you and I in theory, Dr. Malcolm. So everything might be kind of spelled out in that. Mm-hmm. Is that like he didn't really know what the hell Ian Malcolm or chaos theory was. He just said, oh, a scientist. This sounds interesting. Cool. I got him. He's on my team. Great. Yeah. Let me go get the others. I guess, I guess I just would like, I, I would want, if I'm paying somebody to come to the island to give their expert opinion, I would probably I would want someone, into it, yeah. I, I would want someone more in the theme park division or the zoo division. I would get the head of the San Diego zoo to come out and be like, okay, this is what we would do if a lion got out of a cage. You know, yeah. like, that's the kind of expert opinion I would want. I don't know that I would want a chaos theory guy other than maybe calling him up on the phone and saying like, Hey, here's a crazy idea. What if we clone dinosaurs? And uh, how would you think that would affect? And mm-hmm. you could probably say, if you just knew that was the thing, to say, oh, well, it wouldn't go well. We can't predict what these animals are going to do. But at the same time, I guess they thought that bringing him to the island, he would be so wowed by yeah. what happened scientifically. Yeah. He'd be like, no, the world needs to see this. This is important. Yeah. But, hey, this is a movie full of people uh, making stupid decisions yes, that people they don't making, think yeah. all the way through. It, well, and, well hey, and thus is the essence of chaos. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay, maybe we finally got <laughs> to it here. We talked ourselves through it. So, But uh, just to get a little background on chaos theory here... Uh, Chaos theory is a field of study in mathematics that says that due to tiny little things that happen uh, at the beginning of maybe a situation uh, of occurrences, you can never really fully predict what's going to happen in the outcome. And they have all sort of like mathematical permutations that show something like that going on. They have a famous demonstration called a double rod pendulum, uh, which is an animation that shows a chaotic behavior. So basically you have these like two sticks that are attached to each other, right? One is a pivot in the middle, and then at the end of that stick you have like another stick attached to it. Depending on where you drop this stick, it will... Because of the pendulum in the middle, the second stick will make all sorts of weird circles. So if you attach like a piece of lead or something at the end of that and let it swing, it'll make all sorts of weird different designs. And the idea here is that because 
it is chaotic in its nature because it's swinging both ways at the same time. You can never really fully predict what kind of situation or what kind of outcome, what kind of drawing this thing is going to make, how it swings or in its swing. It, it's something you kind of have to see. If you go to the Wikipedia page for chaos theory, there's a beautiful illustration that kind of shows you what I'm talking about. And when you see that, you're kind of like, oh, I get it, chaos theory. And Ian Malcolm talks about the butterfly effect, and we'll talk about that in a later episode whenever he tries to show it to Ellie. But uh, yeah, chaos theory is kind of a cool, interesting element, but when you really kind of think about how it applies to Jurassic Park, I don't know that he would have been better off logically than having like a zoologist there. But it's a very cool character. Jeff Goldblum plays Ian Malcolm very well, and uh, he's fun to watch on screen. I think in terms of chaos theory, uh, an example that they give in the book, I believe it's in the book, uh, that is more in layman terms is... uh, Whenever you are playing pool and you hit a pool ball, you can completely determine mathematically where that pool ball is going to hit, when it's going to hit, where it's eventually going to land up. Everything, you can predict that mathematically completely to a T. But what you didn't account for was little bits of lint in the felt on the table. Yeah. Uh, Maybe the fact that the table is a little off kilter. So the underlying philosophy is we can't really ever know anything because of little changes, little fractions of mathematical errors Mm -hmm. and like the wind shear on the surface of the pole ball and things like that. One more thing that I think really separates uh, Jurassic Park from Jurassic World and puts it above Jurassic World is thought like this, is the science that they drop into the movie like this that not a whole lot of other movies or filmmakers would have taken the time to do. You know, that's the chaos theory thing is the backbone of the entire movie and book um, Jurassic Park is it's that idea. This is just one big example of chaos theory. So without that, this, this story is really just people being chased by dinosaurs and it's frankly kind of stupid. I think Michael Crichton said that chaos theory was kind of the backbone of Jurassic Park. That was kind of like the underlying philosophy of the whole thing was how crazy nature is. You can't predict what it's going to do. So yeah, I mean, it's like an underlying theory for the whole book. I guess Ian Malcolm is kind of a character that, is a great mouthpiece for that philosophy. That's all I got for this minute. That's all I got for this minute as well. So, uh, all right, folks, well, bl- please join us back here tomorrow. We will have a new episode of Minute Number 17 of Jurassic Park ready for you. So, I'm Kyle. I'm ready. And until next time, hold on to your butts. Jurassic Park Minute is a fan supported podcast. If you like the podcast, then leave us a review on iTunes. You can contact us at JurassicParkMinute at gmail.com and visit us online at JurassicParkMinute.com, Facebook.com slash JurassicParkMinute, and Twitter.com slash JurassicMinute.